Matthew 11, starting at verse 1. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messengers before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has risen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. But for all the prophets and the, and the law prophesied un, until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who, who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and I say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yes, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you, that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment 
for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who, are la who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So far the scripture reading. Now those of you who are watching from home won't be able to see my PowerPoint, but if you uh, go to the email that was sent to you this week, you'll be able to download the PowerPoint as a PDF, uh, as well as uh, a very simple outline for this morning's message. So you can follow, follow along with it if you like. Well, when Jesus says, as a case read in our passage this morning, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Even the happiest man or woman here is thankful for this offer. Because we all bear burdens, don't we? Um, just think about some of the burdens that we bear. Uh, perhaps we visit a couple who we love and we, we grieve when they speak so unkindly to each other. And we worry about their marriage. And we are burdened for our friends. Or perhaps we learn that a, a friend or a family member has been diagnosed with an incurable disease. She may not live to the end of the year. Or maybe we have a new job and we're helping a company improve its product and we thought we could help and we certainly have the ability, but there are so many obstacles in the workplace that thwart every effort to turn things around. Maybe you have problems with wayward children and you just really don't know how to solve the situation. Perhaps you are struggling with the effects of the present pandemic, the isolation, uh, the loss of work, the loss of income, an uncertain future. Maybe you're wondering how you're even going to make ends meet. For some reason, maybe like myself, you can't get a good night's sleep. You wake up every morning burdened by near exhaustion. Or perhaps you have been struggling with the burden of some ongoing sin that you just can't seem to conquer and you wonder whether you'll ever conquer it. And so you feel burdened. Well, in today's passage, Jesus bids us to come that he may bear our burdens and give us rest. Thomas Cramner, the author of the prayer book for the Church of England, uh, in the 1662 version of the Book of Common Prayer, in the part of the liturgy uh, for the communion service of the Lord's Supper, he writes these very famous and often cited words. Hear now these comfortable words. And he goes on to cite our passage. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He calls them comfortable words. And they are comfortable. Comfortable in the old sense of the words. Comfortable in the sense that they give hope. 
They give encouragement. They give rest. They give peace. They give light. They give hope. They give understanding. And why? Because in these verses, Christ bears and reveals and opens up his deepest heart for you and for me. You see, it's one thing to know the doctrines of the incarnation and the resurrection and a hundred other vital doctrines, but it's another more searching thing to really know his heart for you and for me. And so in this passage, we learn at least three things about Christ's heart for us. So there's three verses, and each verse I want us to learn one key thing about Christ's heart for you and for me. The first thing we see is Christ's heart for burdened sinners. It speaks to those who are weary, who are bowed down, who are heavy laden, and who are burdened. Verse 28, Christ says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I wonder, do you remember the woman at the well depicted in the fourth chapter of John's Gospel? The woman of Samaria. She comes at a time of day to draw water when she knows that no one else will be there. She won't have to meet anyone. You see, because her life is full of burdens and toils and shames. Many of them, perhaps most of them, are of her own doing. People had ostracized her for months, perhaps years. <coughs> she was an outcast. And yet Jesus comes and says to her, Come to me. And do you remember what she said when she went back into a town? John 4.29. She says to the town, Come, come, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Sarah, where are you? Can you please grab me a glass of water? Is there one there? Oh, thanks. I can't quite see things. Thank you. All that I ever did. A man who knew all of her past, with all of her sins and stains, all of her faults and failings, and yet he could still say to her, Come to me. And I wonder if you remember the woman who comes um, and touches Jesus' garment in the fifth chapter of Mark's Gospel. This poor woman had suffered physically living every day for the past 12 years with a discharge of blood. She suffered socially and psychologically, being shunned by society as one who is viewed as unclean. She suffered financially, wasting her entire living on the fruitless cures of physicians. She has no honor. She must slink about and approach Jesus from behind, thinking that she must steal her healing by stealth. But Jesus calls her out of the crowd and calls her to himself. And Christ's heart towards her is so tender. Daughter, she says, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. 
This wretched woman was broke, cut off from home, cut off from society, from religion, declining in health. She was at the bottom. And Jesus says to her, come to me. And then he says to her, go in peace. Well, there were two men in the temple, and Jesus, say, Jesus says, and you remember one of them? He prays a prayer of sorts. Not really a prayer. He says in Luke 18, 11, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And then there's, then there's that tax collector, a job full of social ostracism in the first century, because these were Jews who, who, who worked with, who colluded with the Romans, and they ripped off their own people. And as a result, they were hated and despised by their own people. He can't even lift his head. He just beats his chest, and he says in verse 13, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And what does Christ say to him? I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. He goes away justified. He goes away right with God. You see, to the one who recognizes his or her need, the one who simply bowed down with a load of care, the one who can only plead for mercy, Christ says, come to me. Come to me. He lifts, you see, the burden of life struggles, the burden of isolation, the burden of an uncertain future, the burden of not being able to make ends meet, the burden of failing health, the burden of aging parents, losing their memory, getting frailer by the day. And most important of all, he lifts the burden of sin, the burden of it, the weight of it, the heaviness of it. And Jesus says, my dear friend, are you weary? Are you heavy laden? Are you burdened? Are you weighed down? Is the load too heavy? Is the path too steep? Is the path too rough? Then come to me. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Well, every year I read John Bunyan's classic Pilgrim's Progress to my family. And if you ask them, they'll probably tell you that they're a bit sick of it by now. But one thing that's never ceased to intrigue them, or maybe it has now, after the many years, but one thing that used to really intrigue them as children is this huge burden that Christian uh, carries on his back. And we first meet Christian in the city of destruction. He's walking in the fields and he's reading his book. He is clothed with rags. And he's carrying this enormous weight, this huge burden on his shoulders. He's burdened. He's distressed. He's weighed down. When suddenly he's approached by a man named Evangelist. Why are you weeping? Evangelist asked. Well, sir, there's this book I'm reading. It tells me to run from the judgment to come. And yet I'm afraid. I'm afraid that this burden on my back will sink me. 
and I want to get rid of it. Christian's burden represents the guilt and the weight and the consciousness of sin. Christian just feels weighed down by the guilt of his own sin. And the book he's reading represents the Bible, which contains the law of God, and it shows Christian his sin. And it's only by coming to Jesus Christ that Christian's burden can be lifted. And so Evangelist points Christian in the direction of a gate. This is the narrow gate of Matthew chapter 17, verses 13 to 14. This is the gate that leads to life. This is Jesus Christ. But on the way to the gate, he falls into the slough of despond, this murky, dirty, filthy swamp. And because of the burden on his back, he begins to sink deeper and deeper and deeper into this filthy, dirty quagmire. But just at the right moment, a man by the name of Help, one of John Bunyan's names for Jesus Christ, providentially arrive, arrives and rescues Christian from the swamp, pulls him out of the swamp, and sets him back on the path to the gate. Well, safely through the gate, Christian continues his journey for a few days until he comes inside of the cross, what John Bunyan calls the place of deliverance. At the foot of the hill, Christian passes by an open tomb. And above it, he finds himself at the foot of the cross. And as the shadow of the cross falls over him, suddenly his burden falls from his shoulders and rolls down the hill and into the tomb, never to be seen again. Wow, Christian felt as light as air. And he gives three jumps for joy and he goes on singing, Thus far did I come burdened with my sin, nor could I find relief from my grief within, until here I came. What a place this is. Here shall be the beginning of full eternal bliss. Now my burden falls from my back forever, from the cords that bound it. By grace my grief is severed. Blessed cross, Blessed tomb, rather most blessed be the man who there was put to shame, a shame he took for me. Well, if you are struggling under the burden and the weight and the guilt of your sin this morning, Christ invites you to the foot of the cross. And he says to you, where your sin increased, my grace abounded all the more. You see, the guilt and the shame and the sin of those who are in Christ is ever outstripped by his abounding grace. And so when we feel as if our thoughts and our words and our deeds are diminishing God's grace toward us. We need to realize again that those sins and failures are in actual fact a causing Christ's grace 
to abound, to surge forward all the more. But this grace comes to us no more and no less as Christ himself comes to us. You see, in the biblical gospel, we're not given a thing called grace. You can't go down to Bunnings or Coles and ask for a couple of boxes of grace. What we are given is a person. <clears throat> the grace of Jesus Christ comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And as the Puritans love to point out, when we sin, the very heart of Christ is drawn out to us. So I wonder if you are burdened by your sin this morning. I wonder if you are bowed down by the weight of it. Well, Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. So that's the first thing we see. We have this wonderful invitation to come. Secondly, Christ goes on then to give us the motivation for coming. One of the greatest motivations that you will ever read in all of Scripture. And we see that in verse 29. And I want you to notice the motivation for coming. Christ says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Why? What's the motivation to do this? What's the motivation to come? Well, notice that little word for at the beginning of verse 29. It explains why we should come. It gives the motivation for coming. And here it is. For or because I am gentle and lowly in heart. In his sermon on Matthew 11.29, uh, titled The Heart of Christ, uh, the great preacher Charles Spurgeon says this. He notes that it is very remarkable that the only passage in the whole New Testament in which the heart of Christ is distinctly mentioned is the one before us today. <clears throat> in this one place where the, the Son of God pulls back the veil and allows us to peer down into the very core of who he is. And what do we find there? While we are not told that he is austere and demanding in heart, we're not told that he's judgmental and disapproving in heart. We're not even told that he is exalted and dignified in heart. We're not even told that he is joyful and generous in heart. Letting Jesus set his own terms his surprising claim is that he is gentle and lowly in heart. See, when the Bible speaks of the heart, whether in the Old or the New Testament, it's not talking about our emotional life only, but of the very central animating center of all that we are and all that we do. You see, it's, what's, it's what gets us out of bed in the morning. 
is what we daydream about as we drift off to sleep at night. It is our motivation headquarters. You see, the heart in biblical terms is not just a part of who we are. It is the very center of who we are. Our heart is what defines and directs us. And so this is what, why Solomon tells us in Proverbs 4.23. Solomon says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. You see, the heart is a matter of life. <clears throat> it's what makes us human. It's what makes us the human being that we are. The heart drives all that we do. It is what we are. It is who we are. And so when Jesus tells us what animates him, what motivates him, what drives him most deeply, what is most true of him when he exposes the innermost recesses of his soul, what we find there is gentle and lowly. You see, Jesus is not trigger happy. <clears throat> He's not harsh. He's not reactionary. He's not easily exasperated by his sinning and erring children. The posture that's most natural to Christ is not the pointed finger, but the open arms, welcoming his children to come. You see, the point in saying that Jesus is gentle and lowly is that he is accessible. You see, for all of his resplendent holiness, all of his dazzling glory, his supreme uniqueness, his transcendent otherness, no one in all of human history has been more approachable than Jesus Christ. Gentle and lowly. This, according to his own testimony, is Christ's very heart in heaven for you here this morning. In fact, even more so now that he is glorified in heaven. This is who he is. Tender, open, welcoming, accommodating, understanding, willing, loving, compassionate, and kind. You see, if we are asked to say one thing about who Jesus is, we would be honoring Jesus' own teaching if our answer this morning was gentle and lowly. You see, I think if Jesus hosted his own personal website, the most prominent line under the about me drop down would read gentle and lowly. That's who I am. Now, this is not who he is to everyone. <clears throat> Indiscriminately, this is who he is for those who come to him, who take his yoke upon them, who cry to him for help. Uh, early on, uh, Case read the, the words that came right before these words. Uh, in verses 11, Matthew 11, verses 21 and 24, where we're given a picture of how Jesus handles those 
who are impenitent, who are rebellious, who reject him. He says, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. You see, gentle and lowly does not mean frothy and mushy. But for the penitent, his heart of gentle embrace is never ever outmatched by the sins and foibles, the insecurities and doubts, the anxieties and failures of his people. You see, lowly gentleness is not just one way that Jesus occasionally acts towards his people. It is who he is. It's his heart for you. Christ cannot ungentle himself any more than you can change your eye color. Now, I realize this is not how we intuitively think about Christ. Sarah, could you please top me up? I'm not so well this morning. Thank you, Sarah. Good job. <clears throat> now, I'm sure for many of us, this is not how we intuitively think about Christ. But I've been helped greatly in this uh, by one of my favorite authors, uh, a pastor by the, man, the name of Thomas Goodwin, a 17th century pastor who wrote a beautiful book called The Heart of Christ. It's one of the most eye-opening books I've ever read. And Thomas Goodwin is reflecting on our verse, and he's helped me grasp what Jesus says here in a fresh way. Goodwin writes, <clears throat> ah, thank you. He says, people tend to have contrary conceptions of Christ. But he tells us his disposition here by preventing such hard thoughts of him, to allure us unto him all the more. You see, we tend to think that he, being so holy, is therefore of a severe and a sour disposition against sinners, and not able to bear them. No, says he, I am meek. Gentleness is my nature and my temper. You see, the trouble is, we tend to project upon Christ our skewed instincts about how the world works. Human nature dictates, doesn't it? The more wealthy a person, the more they'll look down on those who are poor. The more beautiful a person, the more that they're put off by those who are ugly. And without realizing what we are doing, we quietly assume that one who is so high and so exalted has corresponding difficulty drawing near to those who are unclean and despicable and sinful. Yeah, sure, Christ comes close to us, we agree, but he holds his nose. He screws up his face. He makes sure that he's got his PPE on. But Jesus does not look down on his people. 
He presents himself as one who is gentle and lowly in heart. His gentleness and his lowliness mean that he, he will be patient with slow students. He'll be kind in his correction of erring saints. The Lord Jesus is reminding us here that he will not break the bruised reed. He will not snuff out the smoldering wick. And the Lord Jesus says to you this morning, you come to me. Come to me with all your hang-ups and hurts. Come to me with all your discouragements and deficiencies, your sins and your sufferings and your struggles, and I will still love you. In fact, I will love you all the more. You come to me with all those things, and I will deal gently with you. I will not abuse you. I'm here to heal you, not humiliate you. I am lowly in heart. You come to me. Do you know why Christ loves us to come to him in our sin? When on the contrary, we are so inclined to run away from him and hide from him like Adam and Eve did in the garden? Do you know why Christ is more ready to welcome us in our sin than in our suffering? Says Thomas Goodwin. The answer is simple, because it gives Christ the opportunity to glorify his grace and his love and his kindness in our lives. You see, this is the heart of Christ towards sinning, suffering, struggling sinners on earth. That's you and me. So there's the invitation to come. There's the motivation to come. Christ is gentle and lowly, and he will deal with you kindly, graciously, and gently. Now, what's the result of our coming? So we've got the invitation, come. The motivation, I'm gentle and lowly. And now the result or the outcome is that the heart of Christ will sustain you with endless kindness. See, almost every night when I get into bed, and there's nothing like your own bed, I've slept on a variety of beds. When I go to Korea, I sleep on the floor. When I lived in Africa as a missionary, I slept uh, on poor quality mattresses. But there's absolutely there's nothing like your own bed, is there? When your body relaxes into that pillow, it's rest. There's nothing quite like it. If you just turn over the page or scroll down in your Bible for a moment to the very next chapter, chapter 12, and notice how chapter 12 connects with chapter 11. When Jesus finishes talking about rest in chapter 11, what is the subject of chapter 12? Well, you'll notice that all the events in chapter 12 take place on the same day. And what day is it? It's the Sabbath. The Hebrew word from which it comes, the word Shabbat, means to cease, to pause, to rest. Sabbath means 
rest. It's a wonderful word. Sure, the Pharisees destroyed it, but it's a wonderful word. And in chapter 12, Jesus is depicting, by doing these miracles on the Sabbath, the kind of rest he gives. Rest from suffering. Rest from sickness. Rest from our sins. Rest from the consequences of Adam's sin. And he heals, and he cures, and he forgives as a sign of the rest that is coming in the new heavens and the new earth. But there is rest now. You come to Jesus and there is a peace that passes all understanding. Even and for some of us who have passed through enormous trials in the last year or two, there's even rest when there are storms all about. A hurricane is a storm with a rotational speed of about 120 kilometers an hour. Rain, thunder, lightning usually accompany the winds. Hurricanes can be fierce storms with relentless pounding and winds and rain that continue hour after hour after hour. But a really fascinating thing about a hurricane is the eye. A place of perfect calm at the center. And though the winds and the rains howl all about, there is none at the very center. And so it is with us in the storms of life. When Christ is at the center, there is calm, there is peace, there is rest. Even in the midst of the darkest, most howling, most relentless storms in life. Jesus says to you this morning, you will find rest for your souls. He promises rest, spiritual rest, soul rest, rest for those who come to him. His call this morning to those who are burdened, who are weary, who are heavy laden, those who are burdened with sin, those who are burdened with loss, those who are burdened with failure, those who are burdened with failing health, physical and mental exhaustion, financial woes, relationship problems, a difficult work situation, Anxiety about the future and so on. Jesus' invitation goes out to all. To those for whom life has become a grind. For whom existence is laborious. In a word, for whom the juice has just gone out of life and all that's left is the rind. Those who are burdened with guilt and inadequacy. Weakness and loneliness, heartache, heartbreak, disappointment, frustration. Jesus now offers rest, refreshment, quietness, peace. But then he says something really, really strange in verse 29. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. A yoke? It's a joke, right? A yoke's an instrument of work. 
And thus when Jesus offers us a yoke, he seems to offer the very thing that tired, weary, worn out and worn down workers need less. They need a mattress, a hammock, a vacation, a cruise. Well, maybe not a cruise at the moment, but they, 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 need, they need a rest. A pillow at least, a day off, a vacation, a sabbatical. Not a yoke. What on earth is Jesus talking about? Well, you see, the metaphor of a yoke comes from agriculture. Um, and I've, uh, where farmers used to, uh, would lace a yoke on animals to harness their strength, uh, to bear burdens, to plough fields, to carry loads. And as you can see by the picture on the PowerPoint, and if at home you've downloaded it, it you'll see that a, a yoke was something borne by two animals, which harnessed their combined strength and made them a team. And so together they could pull large uh, weights and heavy loads and do heavy work. And so in this word, Jesus may be saying to us this morning, and I think he is, he's saying to you and me, become my yoke mate. Learn to pull your load and to carry your burden by being joined to me and working with me and watching me and allowing me to carry most of the load. I like the way the message translation puts it. Uh, Eugene Peterson translates it like this. Uh, verses 29 to 30 in the message. He says, he translates it as walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you will learn to live freely and lightly. You see, it's the personal presence and companionship and friendship and fellowship of the risen Lord Jesus Christ with us Keeping company with him, communing with him, fellowshipping with him, walking with him, that sweetens and lightens our loads. You see, all Christian work and toil flows out of our fellowship and our friendship and our communion with the living Christ, whose transcending, defining reality is gentle and lowly. He astounds and he sustains with his endless compassion and kindness. You see, it's only as we walk ever deeper into his tender kindness that we can live the Christian life as the New Testament calls us to do. You see, we are buoyed along in life by his endless gentleness, his tender kindness, and his supremely accessible love. It is his very heart. It is a lowly heart, a lovely heart, a gentle heart, a warm heart, a kind heart. You see, this is why we need the Bible. You see, our natural inclination can only give us a God who's a little bit like us. But the God revealed in Scripture deconstructs our intuitive 
presuppositions or, uh, or, or, or thoughts about Christ. And it startles us with one whose infinite perfections is matched by his infinite gentleness and kindness and loveliness. Indeed, his perfections include his perfect gentleness and his kindness. It is who he is. It is the very heart of Christ. Jesus himself said so. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's come to him in prayer, shall we? Oh God, how, how we need your mercy this morning. We sin every day. We fall short of your command to love you with all our heart, mind, soul and strength. We're so lukewarm in our affections. All of our motives, even at their very best, we confess are mixed. We murmur, we complain, we grumble, we're anxious about tomorrow. We are burdened and bothered, we're faint-hearted, disheartened, frustrated. We're discouraged and disheartened by so, so many things. Whether in our own lives or the lives of family or friends or what we see going on in the world around us. Oh God, let us see the mercy and the grace, the gentleness and the kindness, the lowliness and the loveliness of Christ. And help us this morning, we pray, to savor it for what it is. Please grant us power to comprehend his love. Incline us to read and to, to ponder those lovely stories uh, of the kindness and the compassion and the gentleness of Jesus in the Gospels. Help us to realize that now that he's glorified, that same heart toward us is so large and so big. Forgive us when we don't trust or when, when we doubt his heart toward us. And we feel that we have to earn his favor again and do all these little things to somehow feel worthy to come back into his presence. Please make the compassion and the kindness the gentleness and the loneliness of Jesus, the greatest beauty of the Savior in our eyes. O oh God, we pray now, let us behold. And in beholding, may we also become like Christ. Make us full of mercy and compassion, gentleness and kindness, lowliness and humility toward others. Make it so much a part of us, that that is who we are also. So unite us to Christ, we pray, that in all these things we also might present Christ to a world, especially at the moment, that seems to be so burdened, so weighed down, so full of anxiety. May this be the Christ we present to them. After all, he's all that we have to give. Thank you, oh thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. 
and for your mercy, your love, your kindness, and your gentleness. Thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.